Hey, listeners of the Bio Report. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you about the digital library from Deep Dive. How much time does your team spend looking for research papers? Google, PubMed, social media. There's got to be a better way. You can now search a reference database of 100 million scientific papers and read the full text of 20 million articles, annotate them, and share with colleagues. It's the smarter way to do research. Here's the best part. If you're like me and been frustrated by not being able to access articles you find because they're behind a paywall, I've got good news. With Deep Dive, you get one-stop affordable research. If you're a listener of the BioReport, you can try the enterprise version of the service for free for one month. Go to deepdive.com forward slash podcast and enter the code BIOREPORT. That's deepdive, D-E-E-P-D-Y-V-E dot com forward slash podcast. And the code is BIOREPORT, one word, all caps. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The side effects of opioids and the potential for addiction underlies the need for new approaches to the treatment of pain. Site 1 Therapeutics is developing a pipeline of therapies that target sodium ion channels to block the electric signals sent from the site of pain. Unlike other similar drugs, Site 1 is able to target these sodium channels with great specificity to avoid the types of side effects that have limited the value of the drugs that target these proteins. We spoke to John Mulcahy, president and CEO of Site1, about the company's approach to pain, its pipeline, and how its therapies are able to hit their targets with precision. John, thanks for joining us. Danny, it's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about acute and chronic pain and Site 1 Therapeutics efforts to develop a new class of non-opioid and non-NSAID pain relievers. Perhaps we can start with the limits of the existing options for people with acute and chronic pain condition. There's been a lot of attention to the problem with opioids, but how effective are they and what are the problems with their use beyond the problem of addiction? It's a, it's a great question. Um, so opioids are relatively effective for most types of acute pain. It becomes quite a bit more complicated, however, when you get into chronic pain. And there's a, a, a growing body of evidence, I would say, that in many situations in, in chronic pain, really the risks outweigh the potential benefits of, of using opioids. Uh, and when you get into kind of even more um, difficult to treat types of pain, such as neuropathic pain, uh, the efficacy in those situations is really poor. So um, 
kind of a summary I've, I've uh, heard and remembered in the past is that opioids work well for about a third of patients suffering from pain. In another third, they work, but the combination of the side effects and the potential for um, dependence makes the therapy not worthwhile. And then in another third, uh, they just don't work well to treat the pain at all. Uh, so there's really an enormous unmet medical need out there for new approaches to treating pain. NSAIDs are also a commonly used choice for pain. How effective are these and what limitations do they pose? Right. So um, NSAIDs are effective for what I would call mild to moderate pain. Um, they do have some side effects, but nowhere near on the level uh, of opioids. It's, it's really the kind of moderate to severe pain where, there is, where the, the need is greatest, and, and NSAIDs are not sufficiently effective for that patient population. Well, how big a problem does pain represent, and how well addressed is it today? So if looking at just the U.S., the numbers I've seen are roughly 20% of the population uh, in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 million uh, individuals in the United States suffer from chronic pain. Uh, about half of that uh, population has pain so severe that it really interferes significantly in their, in their daily life, their activities. Uh, so it's a very large market, um, a very large unmet medical need, which will only grow as the um, uh, you know, eight kind of lifespans increase. Uh, we have an older population with um, you know, more, more um, just kind of arthritis, um, the kinds of things that happen as, to everyone as they age. So it's a very large need. Thinking about it in terms of dollars, in terms of an actual market opportunity, uh, the numbers I've seen are that the market for opioids in the U.S. is currently around 18 billion dollars a year. And keep in mind, these are mostly older drugs that are generic and relatively inexpensive. Uh, so I would say it's, a, it's an enormous unmet medical need that needs to be addressed. Um, and there's also a significant market opportunity there for companies that are willing to step up and try to solve the problem. Well, what happens in the body when someone feels pain? And what role does the peripheral nervous system play in that? Mm -hmm. So pain involves um, both peripheral and um, kind of central circuitry. If you think about acute pain for starters, for example, if you put your hand on a hot stove, um, what happens is that the noxious signal, that heat, sets off an electrical signal starting at your skin or whatever part of your body touched it. It first moves along a, a neuron as an action potential to the spinal cord. Um, that peripheral neuron synapses with a central neuron, and the signal is then transmitted up into the central nervous system, into the brain. And there are opportunities, really, to modulate that pain signal at both levels, both at the peripheral neuron, where the kind of incoming nociceptive uh, signal is coming in, and then also uh, in, in the CNS, either in the spinal cord or in the brain. So different uh, opportunities to attack the problem. You're developing therapies for a number of indications, including acute pain, chronic pain. From a biological point of view, is all pain the same? Does something happen differently depending on the underlying cause or where it occurs in the body? Uh, absolutely. There are 
many different types of pain. And kind of coming back to this discussion about the peripheral circuitry and the, the central circuitry, um, there are opportunities for both systems to kind of go off track and become uh, hypersensitive to this incoming uh, painful stimulation. You can have sensitization of the peripheral neurons if they get damaged. And um, this is one of the, one of the causes, uh, this underlying nerve injury of what's called neuropathic pain, uh, nerve injury pain. You can also have what's called central sensitization where uh, the circuitry in the spinal cord and the brain actually gets kind of wound up. And it's thought you can actually have pain that's entirely centrally mediated, uh, potentially, where even though you, there's no longer an incoming peripheral stimulus, you have this kind of central sensitization, this, this wind-up. In most cases, it's probably not that extreme. There's probably still some incoming peripheral uh, input. It's just that things that shouldn't be painful are then kind of interpreted by the central nervous system the sensitized central nervous system as painful. Your therapies and development act on specific proteins known as voltage-gated sodium ion channels. What are these and, and what role do they play in pain? So voltage-gated sodium, sodium ion channels are absolutely essential for the transmission of electrical signals in the body. Uh, there are ion channels expressed in neurons that are responsible for conduction of the action potential. So this is both in the peripheral nervous system and the central nervous system. It turns out that there are nine different subtypes of the voltage-gated sodium channel, and different subtypes are found in uh, different places, different tissues in the body. Our first development candidate, SC2427, targets an isoform, a subtype called NAV1.7 which is primarily found in the peripheral nervous system. And it's heavily expressed in these uh, kind of pain-sensing fibers um, that, that come from the, the dorsal side of the spinal cord and innervate uh, tissues such as the skin. Um, and NAV1.7 really rose to prominence based on findings from human genetics, rose to prominence as a target for pain treatment. So individuals with a loss of function in this one subtype of sodium channel are unable to feel, unable to experience almost all types of pain. Uh, so it's a, it's a non-opioid pain target validated by human genetics. There are a, a number of therapies on the market today that target voltage-gated sodium ion channels. How safe and effective are these therapies, and how do your candidates differ? So there are a number of compounds out there that target uh, sodium ion channels, and the ones that are probably most well known are the local anesthetics. Uh, drugs like lidocaine, bupivacaine, which are used routinely uh, for local pain relief in, for example, surgical operations. And they're extremely effective, uh, these non-selective sodium channel inhibitors. Uh, for basically blocking those pain signals in the peripheral nervous system before they ever get to the uh, spinal cord. The, the challenge with existing non-selective sodium channel inhibitors is for the most part they have to be delivered locally uh, because otherwise you risk or you would shut down this kind of electrical conductivity throughout the body, not just in the pain-sensing uh, neurons. 
the advantage of the isoform selective compounds that we're advancing, such as SD2427 and other candidates, is that because of the selectivity, they can now be administered systemically. So um, able to be used for really whole body uh, pain relief without many of the side effects um, of the non-selective inhibitors. Uh, how selective are your, your therapies? Uh, our, the, the first development candidate is over a thousand-fold selective for NAV 1.7 over all the other subtypes we've tested. Well, your, your lead experimental therapy is ST2427. What is it and, and how does it work? So it's a uh, potent and, as mentioned, highly selective inhibitor of NAV 1.7. Um, so it's, this first therapy is actually an intravenous drug. It's intended for the relief of pain in um, acute care settings, such as the hospital, for example, after surgery. Um, it's administered um, IV and uh, currently undergoing a, a phase one uh, study to uh, better understand the pharmacokinetics, uh, safety, tolerability in humans. The, the drug is intended to basically block pain signals in the peripheral nervous system by, by inhibiting this uh, ion channel. Stop those pain signals uh, before they get to the spinal cord. You're actually developing this for a number of indications. Why start with acute pain? Acute pain is a good place to start because um, it's a very controlled setting to explore this mechanism. Uh, NAV 1.7, while it's been a high interest target now for at least the past 15 years, no one has really demonstrated convincing clinical proof of concept with this mechanism. And there's, there's some intricacies of the target that are not well appreciated in the literature. So the kind of IV acute care setting is a, is a very controlled setting to explore both the uh, safety and efficacy of the mechanism. What's known about the safety and efficacy of ST2427 from the work done to date? Mm-hmm. In um, the preclinical models that we've run um, with ST2427 and related compounds, it's um, very effective across a, a broad range of um, kind of types of painful stimulus. We've looked at thermal stimulus, heat. We've looked at mechanical stimulus. Um, we've looked at chemical stimulus within this class. And um, really across the board, it, it is, it's very effective. Seems to reproduce many of the um, effects or, or have effects similar to what you would expect based on the human genetics. ST2427 is administered through IV. Can these therapies be delivered orally? And how much of the pain market can be addressed with an IV therapy? The IV, with the IV therapy? Yeah, so um, IV treatment for pain is uh, in itself a significant market opportunity. There are hundreds of millions of doses of intravenous opioids used each year. And there's an opportunity to replace those with non-opioid alternatives. Ultimately, the goal is certainly to get to a, um, a route of administration that's acceptable for chronic use. And um, oral is one possibility. We're also looking at 
things like um, long-acting injectable solutions for chronic pain, where you can imagine um, a single shot that lasts for a week or a month and delivers long-term pain relief um, in that way. You've gotten an award from the National Institute on Drug Abuse to support partial development of ST2427. How significant is, is that funding, and how far will it take you? So we um, are extremely grateful for the support from NIH. Um, we think of NIH as partners um, in our development of SC2427 as well as our other compounds. Um, the current award takes us at least through our phase one study of SC2427. Uh, it's actually kind of a milestone-based award where if uh, we meet specific criteria, we'll then transition into the next phase of the award, which would uh, begin to look at uh, efficacy in surgical pain models, such as uh, bunionectomy. Uh, bunionectomy is um, kind of, it's a, it's, a, it's a procedure that most people may not be familiar with, um, but it's one that's often done early on in, in pain uh, clinical trials because it produces a very robust and consistent level of pain over a period of one to three days. So it's, uh, in many cases, the first real clinical pa uh, proof of concept in patients for a, a new analgesic. It's always nice to get non-dilutive funding when possible, but what's the long-term plan for funding the company? We are um, very optimistic at the moment. Um, in addition to SC2427, we have a number of other candidates advancing in the pipeline targeting both NAV 1.7 and other ion channels. So we really see this as a portfolio um, unlocking the potential of truly isoform selective sodium channel inhibitors for pain as well as other neurological disorders. Um, so long term, we're um, open to different opportunities. It could be a, a strategic collaboration with a, a larger company that has really the commercial and, and sales uh, force necessary to bring these new therapeutics to the market and uh, help them meet the needs of patients. Also open to other opportunities and going farther on our own. Um, uh, certainly in uh, IPO at some point in the, in the future uh, could be on the table if things continue to go well. John Mulcahy, President and CEO of Site One Therapeutics. John, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Danny. Real pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.